Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. I guess if you were to take a survey of what a perfect world would look like, you'd get some very similar answers. You'd, you'd get things like, there'd be no hunger. There'd be no hunger. We'd have access to clean water. That's a massive issue in our world. But in a perfect world, everyone would have access to clean water. You'd say, I guess, in a perfect world, people would have great relationships. They would really get on well with one another, and family would be a healthy and a strong place. You'd say, in a perfect world, there'd be no suffering. The amount of people who've said to me over the years, well, if there's a God, why is there suffering in the world? But if we're in a perfect world, there'd be no suffering. If we're in a perfect world... You'd never have to say goodbye to someone because they died. That's a massive thing, isn't it? People would just not die. In a perfect world, no one would ever get ill, but healing would be constant. In a perfect world, you'd never wonder if there's a God. You'd just know because you met him all the time. That's how God made the world. In the book of Genesis, when we start at the very beginning, God creates the world like that and he says, it is very good. When you get to the end of the Bible, so when we think that's what a perfect world would look like, God would say, I agree. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, we read in Revelation 21 verse 4 that God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's where we're heading to. Like it was at the beginning, only better. That's where we're heading to. And we live in the overlap of the ages because between the beginning and the end, there's a lot of brokenness. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, he invades history with the kingdom of God and he says, the kingdom has come. And then he says, pray that the kingdom comes. I thought you just said the kingdom has come. It has. So what should we pray? That the kingdom will come. Well, why am I praying that the kingdom will come if the kingdom has come? Because the kingdom's not come. But the kingdom's come. And then he tells all these stories of the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that someone planted and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. Oh, the kingdom of God is like a bit of leaven that someone put into some dough and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. Is the leaven in the dough when it's first put in? Yes. Are the bits of the dough where there is no leaven? Yes. And we get to live in this tension of the now, but not yet, of the kingdom of God. And we, as a leadership team, we sort of, one of my jobs on the leadership team is that I set the teaching plan for the year. We do it in October time, November time. I submit it to the leadership team and we agree, is this what God's saying? So we planned the general outline of this is the subject we're looking at for today 
in October, November 2020. So we're talking today about something that we sensed all the way back there would be important. We're living in a time, I think, of great brokenness, great perplexity, great concern, great hope, a great God. And we get to live in the tension of the kingdom now, but not yet. Whenever we have, it's interesting, when we heard about seedbed before, people use the word a kairos moment. And some of you will be very familiar with what that is, and some of you will think, I'm not sure what that is. A kairos moment, in the Greek language which the New Testament was written in, there's two words for time. There's chronos, which is the chronological movement sequentially from past to future. So you can measure that on your watch if you're old school like me, or on your phone, or on your sundial if you're really old school. You can measure that on, on that. But a kairos moment is like a key moment in time. It's like a breaking moment. It's like a memorable moment. And it can be anything. It can be an answer to prayer. It can be a great meal. It can be an argument with your wife. It can be God speaking to you through the Bible. It can be falling over and hurting your leg. It can be experiencing God fill you with his spirit. Anything has the potential to be a kairos moment if we recognize that God wants to speak through it. He wants to change our mind, so we repent, we change our thinking. Jesus says in Mark 1.15, the time has come, the kairos has come, the kingdom of God's near. Change your mind, repent, change what you do, believe. And if we respond to those moments and say, God, what would your kingdom look like in this? The kingdom of God can advance in those moments. We live in the now but not yet of God's kingdom. From Jesus' earthly ministry to his return, there will be sickness, there will be sin, there will be death. Jesus paid for all of those at the cross, but we still live with the presence of those things, even though the power is broken. But God's kingdom advances in those days, and we live with hope. And we can see miracles, and we can live with suffering, because we live in the tension of a kingdom that is now, but not yet. We live in a perfect kingdom of God in a broken world. And what we often want, I've noticed in our society and in our world, what we want is a simple answer, even if it's not right. So people argue with each other. They become very divided in our society at the moment. I think this. Well, I think that. And we just conflict each other. That's not wisdom. The wisdom that the Bible asks us to grapple with is... Jesus is at work in the earth and we can expect miracles. And Jesus is at work in the earth and there will be suffering. And that's hard to get your head around, but that's reality. So it's not a nice bite-sized tweet. It's not something that you can just stick on a slogan on your fridge, but it's reality. And we've got to deal with reality. We can't pretend that we're living in a world we're not living in. And we can't reduce the potential of the miraculous down to our past experience. We've got to grapple with the tension that we're living with. And so in this talk, I'm inviting you to engage your brain as well as your heart. Because love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And so I would encourage you to get your 
view of what the Bible says about these subjects, not from God TV, not from books like the one I've written out there, not from, these all things can be helpful, not from Christian radio, not from a set of notes, but actually from doing the hard work of reading the Bible. And that takes time. That takes effort. I wonder how many of us would say that the Bible is the most important book on the planet. Is that pretty much everybody? You don't need to raise your hands to this one. Have you read it all? Have you read all of it? And are you continuously doing that? Because if it is that important, it's more important than finishing that series on Netflix. It's more important than the match. It's more important than all those other things. Because if it is that important, it really is important. So what does the Bible say? We live in a perfect kingdom, in an imperfect world, in the overlap of the ages. The kingdom is now, but not yet. The book of, Revel- uh, the book of Hebrews says, we have tasted of the powers of the world to come. We've tasted of them. We're not living in it all of the time, but we've tasted it. We've had a taste. We've had a taste of the forgiveness of God. But we still battle with sin. We've had a taste of divine healing, and yet we've had a loved one who's died of sicknesses. We've had tasted tastes of miraculous provision. Where God has just supernaturally done things we could not explain. I know modern day examples of people feeding people when the food has run out and the food just keeps appearing. I have modern day examples of people not telling anybody that they're in financial need and for two years money supernaturally being delivered in an envelope through their door so that they could live. These aren't written 2,000 years ago. These are like the last few years. But I've also seen people suffer. I've also seen people I long to be healed pass away. And we live in the tension of this. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. Have you ever felt that? Is it just me? Do you not sometimes sit before God and say, God, I am perplexed? I do. I, sometimes I just go before God and I think, God, I, I don't know what to say. I'm just, oh, please, God. I'm perplexed. But I'm not in despair, Paul says. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed through us. Do you sense the tension in Paul's words? This isn't easy believism. This is the tension of living for Jesus in a broken world when sometimes we see the miraculous instant answer to prayer and sometimes we endure by the grace of God through a trial and difficult situation knowing that we have an eternal hope. 
We talk about the now but not yet of the kingdom. Here's what I've seen. You know, I said a minute ago, some people, I think this, I think that. The now but not yet of the kingdom, this happens in church, the church, in this country, in this town, in this room. This happens. There are some people who emphasize the now of the kingdom. It must happen now. God must do this now. You need to answer this prayer now. It's all about now. And you know what? There's some truth in that. Of course, because there's the now aspect. But they forget the not yet. And there are other people who are, well, don't expect much. Don't expect much. It's all in the future. God will do it in the future. It's all when we get to heaven. And it's just the not yet. And they stick in their camp. No, it's the not yet. No, it's the now. And the scripture says, absolutely. It is the now. And it is the not yet. And you get to be perplexed. So all men have a great week. (laughs) This is reality, folks. This is what we've got to grapple with if we want to be mature in our faith. We've got to be able to say we absolutely believe that God heals and does miracles and we we press in for that. And we also know that people live through perplexing and difficult and painful times and we get to love them through that. And it's both. It's both. And if you're unsure of whether this is true, look around at the scripture and at life. Biblical balance. So what does the Bible actually say? What does Jesus do? Well, Jesus says this. Listen to this. This will cause you to take a minute. Jesus is speaking in John 14. He says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. If he'd stopped there, my mind would be blown. But he doesn't. He goes on to say, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. These are amazing words of Jesus. We get to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and Jesus will continue his ministry through us into a broken world. How amazing is that? So Jesus then demonstrates what that looks like. So I'm just going to tell you some quick stories of Jesus to remind you of them. In John 9, the disciples are having an argument. That wasn't unusual then or now. The disciples are having an argument. There's there's a man over there, he's blind. And the disciples decide to make him a test case. That never goes well with Jesus. Just to give you a heads up, that never use people as a test case with Jesus. He doesn't like that. So they're having an argument and they're saying, who sinned, there's an assumption, who sinned that that man is blind? And some of them are saying, well, clearly it's him. It's his fault. And others are saying, no, 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 it can't be his fault because he was born blind. How do you get that? It must have been his mum and dad. No, no, it's him. No, it's his mum and dad. So they go, Jesus, 
And they set their assumptions to Jesus because they already know what they believe. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? And Jesus said, neither. (laughs) I love it. You've just got the wrong assumption. You're missing the point. And then Jesus does something very unusual. He bends down on the ground and he spits. And he makes some mud. And he puts the mud on the man's eyes. And he says, why don't you go and wash in the pool of Siloam? And when you've had a wash, he didn't need a wash before Jesus had started, but now he needs a wash. Go and have a wash. And when you've had a wash, you'll be healed. Why did he do that? I don't know. But he did. And the man walks through the town with mud on his eyes. He washes in the pool and he's healed. Wow. And then the trouble begins because the religious leaders don't really like that. So, when we pray for the sick, should we be making lots of mud and spitting at people? Is that what Jesus is telling us here? Just do a bit of spitting, make some mud, mess people up, go and get a wash, all's good. I don't think so. Or there's a woman who's been suffering from a loss of blood for years and years and years. And she hears that Jesus is in town. But the thing is, Jesus is in town and he's in a crowd. I don't know. I, I used to go to football, uh, football matches in the 70s when it was standing. I used to go standing at the match. And I've been in matches where when, you, when, when, when your team score, you just end up being propelled maybe five or six rows down you're jumping up and down with a stranger and then you've got to find your way back to your mates who are lost in the crowd somewhere. The word that the scripture uses for the crowd that are around Jesus is they were pressing in on him in all directions, causing him to go in a certain direction. That's the word that's used. And this woman in that crowd decides to go through their legs and grabs. Imagine in a crowd, in a, in a, if you've ever been at... A major sporting event in a crowd like that. Imagine being at people's knee level, trying to grab the edge of someone's robe, which is what she tried to do. And then as she grabs him, Jesus says to his disciples, somebody touch me. And they think he's losing his mind. Of course, we're in a crowd. But Jesus knew power had gone out from him. And she was instantly healed. She stands up, tells her story. Jesus says, you're healed. So, when we're having prayer times, should we just get as many people packed in down here as we should, as we can? And if you want to be healed, just get through people's knees and grab the edge of the curtain and you'll be healed. I don't think so. I don't think so. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing by. He's been blind for years, sits begging near the road. Starts shouting out, son of, son of David, have mercy on me. People say to him, don't bother him, shut up. Jesus stops and says, would you bring him to me? Suddenly the people who tell him to shut up are his friends. Oh, come, in, come and meet Jesus. Oh, she said you should shout louder if he wants you. And they have a conversation and Jesus heals him and he follows Jesus along the road. So do you just got to shout a lot or do you got to grab robes or have you got to carry mud? Or what, are you, what? What? 
There's a centurion who wants his servants healed and Jesus, he meets Jesus and Jesus is on his way to go and heal the centurion's servants and the centurion says, I'm a man under authority. If you want to, if you want to be under authority, if you want to have authority, you need to be under authority. If you can't submit, you can't exercise authority. It's very simple. The centurion says, I am a man under authority and I have people under me who I tell go and they go, come and they come. So Jesus, so he recognizes Jesus is under the authority of the Father. You say the word and my servant will be healed. You don't even need to come into my house. So there's no robe grabbing, there's no conversation, and there's no mud. Just Jesus says, be healed. And he's in a different place, and the servant's healed. We know the story in Mark 1 when Jesus opens up Peter's oikos. He sits at the gate and it says everybody who is oppressed and demonized come to the gate and Jesus heals them and sets them free. So do you wait till sundown? Is that the best time for healing? And you find a gate to sit at? Or there's the friends who dig through the roof of the same oikos and deliver their friend to Jesus. Why am I telling you all these stories? Well, one, because I love them. I mean, these are the stories about my favorite person ever. But I want you to see something. Jesus brings healing in so many different ways. Sometimes it seems like the person being healed had faith. Other times, there's one guy, he sat He's been going to this pool called Bethsaida for years. There's crowds of sick people there. And they go, and they're not followers of Jesus. They're not worshippers of Yahweh. They're pagans. And he's put there, and he's waiting for some superstitious thing to happen. And Jesus walks through a crowd of sick people and doesn't heal any of them. To this one man who's asking for nothing and says to him, you want to get better? And the guy says, well, I can't get in the pool when the superstitious thing happens. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And it looks like he doesn't even become a follower of Jesus. He goes and shops Jesus to the religious authorities. It messes with your theology, this, doesn't it? I think God likes to do that. Because he's bigger than our theories. The reason I think there are all these different stories in the scripture is because sometimes Jesus takes the initiative, sometimes the person takes the initiative, sometimes the person seems to have faith, sometimes the person praying for them seems to have faith, sometimes it just seems to be a sovereign thing that happens and we get all of them in scripture because I think what God's telling us is he's not a machine. You can't punch in the right formula Say the magic words and bingo, it happens. This is a relationship with Almighty God who can do things, who will do things, and who also helps us to live through times when things don't happen. God is not a machine. 
He's not moved by our methods. He's a person who's looking for relationship. And could I humbly suggest that one of the reasons Jesus healed so many people in so many different ways is so that we didn't get trapped on a technique. Imagine if we only had the mud on the face stories. Could you imagine that? The amount of people wandering around Warrington with mud all over their faces. He gives us all these different pictures to say, look, God is so creative. I'm just going to keep moving on because I don't know how long I've got left. The thing is that whenever Jesus does heal, he's moved with compassion. So if our motivation is not compassion, there's a problem. If you want to see more miracles, if you want to see more healing, if you want to see more salvation, then ask God to break your heart with the things that break his heart. Ask him to allow you to love people like he loves people. Because do you know what? If they're slow to become a follower of Jesus, if you're loving them like Jesus does, you'll keep loving them. If they don't get healed, you'll keep loving them. If they're not set free, you'll keep loving them. But if they're a project, you won't. So that's what Jesus does. What do we get to do as I move towards the latter part of this talk? I say that to give you hope. Well, in James 5, the Bible says, if you know people who are sick, then why don't you call some of the leaders of the church, the elders, and they can anoint you with oil and pray for you for healing. And, and if, if you've messed up in some way, you can... You can confess that and get it right. And he's not saying, remember in John 9, he's not saying that every sickness is because of a sin. He's not saying that. But he's saying if there's something holding back. I had a friend who who had a growth on her face. It was a a very painful thing. It was a growth on her face and it used to bleed. Very visible, very sore thing. And she was said that she was quite critical of certain people. She'd say that. I'm not saying that. That's what she would say. Whether I agree or not, I'm taking the fifth. Um, But she was looking at a magazine once, a Christian magazine. And in it was a well-known preacher that she didn't like. And so she was sat looking at this man and saying, look at the state of him. This is a Christian woman. Look at the state of him. Look how expensive the clothes he's got on are. He could sell that clothing and give it to the poor. And she's thinking all this stuff. And as she's thinking it, she feels like the the growth on her face is going to bleed. But then she thinks, you know what? I shouldn't be thinking this about this man. I'm not his judge. And so she said, God, I am so sorry that I have been so critical of this man. Please, whether I think what he's doing is right or wrong is not my business. He's your child and you love him. And my attitude towards him is not right. And she then thought this is really going to bleed. So she got a tissue. But before she could get the tissue, the growth fell off her face onto the picture. And she was healed. How incredible is that? Now, that's not every occasion that happens, but on that occasion, it did. This isn't a story I read about someone I don't know. This is a story of someone 
I know. In the context in, of James 5, of, of praying for it, he says, anoint them with oil. And Keith Warrington, who was a lecturer at, at Regents, uh, did, I think, his master's on this passage of Scripture. And he said that, is there a link between the anointing of oil, I think this is what he said, between the anointing of oil and Psalm 133, you know, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for it's there that the Lord commands his blessing. It's like, it's like the, 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 the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It's like, it's like when the precious oil's poured over Aaron's garments that, that flows over him. And it's that picture of the oil as a picture of unity. And what he contends is that when we anoint people with oil, it's not a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's actually a symbol of unity. Of saying, in your suffering, I will stand with you. We'll ask God to heal you and we'll stand with you. Moved with compassion. If you're a part of King's Church, I urge you to be in a missional community or missional household. I don't know how you work out being a part of King's Church if you're not, to be quite honest. How do you love one another? How do you encourage one another? How do you care for one another? How do you pray for one another? Because King's Church isn't an event. It's a people. And so, if you have people in your missional community who have a long-term sickness, I'm going to talk in a minute, how do we minister to people with long-term sickness? But if you have, be as creative as you can in showing them love and care. over the long haul. Pray for them, but also be as creative as you can in showing them love and care. Paul expresses to the Corinthian church in in 1 Corinthians 11, there are times when there were some of them who were unwell because there was disunity in the church. They were ripping the body of Christ apart by their words and deeds. And some of the protection was lifted and some of them were sick. And Paul said, deal with the issue. Is that the case all of the time? No, of course it's not. But sometimes, yes. Let's not mess around with the unity of the church. We've got to look out for one another, care for one another, speak well of one another. Deal with our disagreements. Don't get into the camps of, I think this, I think that. Guys, come on. We live in the perplexity of a difficult time. Jesus tells his disciples in Mark 16, lay hands on the sick and they'll get better. So, my friend Paul McConaughey, he would say he went through a season of seeing a real increase in healing in his ministry. A real increase. And I remember asking him, why do you think that is? He said, I'm praying for more sick people. That was it. If you don't pray for any sick people, they're not going to get better. But if you pray for a lot of sick people, you're going to see more of them healed. How do we walk with someone who's facing a long-term illness? How do we persevere when they're not healed? Jesus asked a question, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth? Luke 18.8, and I want the answer to be yes. 
We know that one day all sickness will be gone when Jesus returns. We're not at that point yet. So we do have to deal with the fact that sometimes there are miraculous healings and sometimes people will suffer with a sickness and we've got to help them through that. When I was unwell 20 years ago, really unwell, I'm so grateful that Colt Jeffs, whatever he is, Colt Jeffs started a prayer meeting for me every week. I didn't know he was doing it at first. But I was ill for about a year, and Colt got a group of people together and prayed for me every week. Some of them are in this room. And as they prayed, I got worse. So they stopped praying. No, they didn't. So they kept praying. And I got worse still. Until someone, a friend of mine who knew nothing of the situation, met Jackie and I and prayed over us as well with some words of knowledge. And I stopped getting worse and I started getting better. But they carried on praying. And sometimes it's that persistent, ongoing prayer with a bit of a breakthrough and a bit more persistent. And they weren't phoning me every week saying, we're praying for you. They weren't texting me every week saying be healed. They just quietly in the background contended for me when I couldn't contend for myself. They were like those four friends who carried their friend to Jesus. We honour those who are suffering. We don't make them feel like Oh, if only you had more faith or there's something wrong with you. God forbid. Let me read you something from the book of Galatians. Galatians 4, 13 to 14. As you know, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to a church, a group of churches he planted. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Wait a minute. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. How do we deal with people who are suffering? You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Paul didn't allow his sickness to stop him serving God. But he didn't pretend he wasn't sick. And in his sickness, and he puts it in the letter to Galatians, and it makes it into the Bible, he acknowledges, it was because I was unwell. I had to stop in Galatia. But when I stopped, I decided I wasn't going to just do nothing, I was going to use what I could to bring the gospel. And as I did, you guys loved me, you cared for me. In my brokenness, you looked after me. And boom, a church was planted. I used to visit this lady called Phyllis. I won't give you a second name because I'm conscious that we're online. But Phyllis used to come to our church. She was lovely. She was an older lady, and she became quite unwell, and I, I used to visit her in a, in a house. She became housebound, and then she became bedridden, and we would pray that Phyllis would be healed, and she wasn't healed. 
But I'd go to see Phyllis to encourage Phyllis, and I'd say, Phyllis, I've come to encourage you. And I always left more encouraged than Phyllis did. But those of you who've had me visit, you would know that that's par for the course. <laughs> that you, you, I usually leave more encouraged than you are, because I'm such an encourager. Um, and one day I said, Phyllis, what you, I mean, I wasn't trying to be insensitive, but she's in bed all day. And I said, Phyllis, what do you do all day? And she said, I have to get up at 6 a.m. I'm thinking, where are you going? So I said, why, why are you getting up at 6 a.m.? I mean, without trying to be insensitive, you can't leave the room. And she said, I am committed to praying for so many people. If I don't get up at 6 a.m., I can't fit it all in. I felt a difference in my service to God when she died. Something diminished for a while because someone was not really contending for me in prayer in the way that she had been. Here's what we get to do with the scriptures. We get to read them. We get to absorb them. What we don't get to do is to say, here is my current experience of the miraculous and healing and breakthrough. So I'm going to take the scriptures and reduce it to fit into my experience. We don't have the right to do that. We can't do that. Neither can we say, here's what I wish the scriptures said. And so I'm going to stretch them to what I wish they said. We don't get to do that. We get to grapple with the perplexity of the days that we're living in, being people of the word and the spirit. That's why we have the advocate walking with us who guides us into all truth. Because this isn't a walk in the park. We need him. How else do we care for people who've got long-term sickness. We keep praying for them. I'll give you some bullet points, then we're going to close. I'm totally unaware of how long I've taken, and I do apologize for that. Genuinely, I've just lost track of the time. But let me give you these bullet points, just in case you're ever caring for someone who's got a long-term sickness. Here's how you could do it. Pray for them regularly in your own prayer time. Do not stop doing that. Do not pressurize them to respond for prayer for healing every time there's an opportunity for prayer for healing. But if they want to, stand with them in faith and be as encouraging as you can be. Let them take the lead on it. Because the chances are they've been out for prayer a lot already. Thirdly, act like those four friends who carried their friends to Jesus. Like Colin, the guys who prayed for me. I didn't even know they were doing it a lot of the time. Just Stand with us and keep praying. Who knows? Who knows what God might do? Focus on the love and the power of God. Take every opportunity to lavish love and kindness on them, on them and don't give up. And if they die of their sickness, they will be welcomed as a hero in heaven because, yes, there is faith in the earth. And they endured. Jesus does miraculous things, and we're going to pray for the sick. Now, you you might have thought if we were going to pray for the sick, what I should have done this morning is just talked about all the times that healing happens. 
and not deal with the times when we live in the perplexity of it because, you know, that's going to dampen your faith. If that dampens your faith, that wasn't faith. That was wishful thinking. Faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah was beyond the days of having children. He faced the facts and then he believed God. And we get to face the facts and then believe God. And so we would, I would love us to pray for the sick today. If you're unwell, if you need a miracle, you might say, it's not healing. I need, I need provision. I need healing in a relationship. I need hope again. I feel exhausted after 20 months of this pandemic and all the pain of that. And I just want it. I need strength to keep going with all of the confusion that this is causing. We'd love to pray for you. I thought I should tell you this story before I close, and I put it in my notes, and I genuinely don't know why I'm telling you this story. I've moved the story around the talk a few times to make it fit, and quite frankly, it doesn't fit. So here's a talk, here's a story that has, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but it keeps coming to me, so I'm going to tell you the story. Jackie and I went to Frankfurt in, when, we were, when we were dating. We met on missions in Yugoslavia, we, we were, we're so old we met in countries that don't exist anymore. <laughs> they've, they've redrawn the map since we met. We went to Germany. We felt we should go to Germany. And Reinhard Bonnke was preaching. We felt we should go on and go to this German evangelist. Love the Germans. Absolutely love the Germans. If you can ever get a German as a son-in-law, get one. Yeah, absolutely. They're good, aren't they? <laughs> I went to hear Reinhard Bonnke. And um, I just wanted to see miracles and salvation. And he was doing these things in Frankfurt. So I, I, I just went. I just went. I wanted to be there. Jackie wanted to see how do you break through in prayer and so Suzette Hatting was holding some prayer meetings in a different part of the city now this is the early 80s mobile phones were those huge things that nobody could afford so there were no mobile phones there was no internet there was no text messaging no whatsapp none of that but Jackie would be in these meetings with Suzette at a different part of the city and they would just be getting words of knowledge that's all they would wait on God and God would say tonight I want to do this 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 and they would list those things and then they would pray probably for a couple of hours for those things to break through I was not doing that level of heavy lifting I was sat in a meeting being available if needed and then we'd meet afterwards and Suzette would bring the prayer team across to the end of the meeting where Reinhard was speaking every night they saw their prayers being answered there'll be such and such a person with this need there they are one night there was a woman that they said hadn't walked for a long time they should pray that she was healed I was in this meeting they carried her they carried this woman and they put her on the platform in front of Reinhard 
And I thought what Ryan did was very clever. He said, why don't we all pray for her? I remember thinking, that's a great move, Vax. If nothing happens, it's not on you, is it? <laughs> Maybe I'm just a bit... But I thought, what a great move. Let's all pray for her. So we all stood up and we all prayed for this lady. And then Reinhard said, why don't you, why don't you get up? And she did. I watched her. to get up start walking around the room these guys came back and they'd had a word of knowledge that this would happen and there it was happening don't tell me this is all psychosomatic don't tell me this is manipulation there is a God in heaven who prompts people to pray and then answers prayer you know the sun doesn't come up because the cockerels crow but the cockerels crow when the sun's coming up it's a God in heaven who's arising and he stirs people to pray and then he moves and I have no idea why I'm telling you that none Maybe you're one of the people who needs to be seeking God for words of knowledge for someone. I don't know. Maybe you've given up hope and you need a whole bunch of people praying for you. I don't know. God is perfect. He's perfect in what he does. And here's the thing. If we believe in the now but not yet of the kingdom, so even if God, Habakkuk, even if the stable's empty, even if there's no fruit on the vine I'm going to still praise him even if even if I come to God and say God please do this and he doesn't until we see him face to face his goodness is not diminished and he has not failed we hope you enjoyed this message to find out more about King's Church Warrington visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram